Welcome to the We Are Calvary podcast, where our mission is to share Jesus and help people experience life change. Thank you so much for listening. Here's this week's message. Hey, good morning. Thank you for being with us today. I know March Madness is taking place. It's the final eight, and I'm so excited about that. So, um, I'm just kidding. Thank you for being here in person. Thank you for those who are watching online uh, in your pajamas. And so, uh, let's, let's get dressed, get over here, hurry. We're glad that you're with us today to worship the Lord, and uh, I'm excited what the Lord has for us today. Did you, I know I asked this a lot, but did, were you blessed by the worship today? It, it touched my heart, just touched me, and I pray it touches you as well, blesses your soul. Uh, we're talking this series about moments, and moments in the life of Jesus, with our prayer being that by looking at the moments in the life of Jesus, moments are created for us in his presence. And so that's our prayer, that when you walk out of here today, this morning, you will have been touched by the power of the Holy Spirit, that God will touch your soul in a very powerful and unique way. And that's our prayer every time we come together. It's not just to go through the motions of, of being uh, uh, of the church. We are the church, and we should be filled and walking in the presence of Jesus. Amen? So that's our hope for me and for all of us today. So I know you guys just sat down, but we have this thing called Respect the Word. And, and so if you'd stand with me, we're going to read from Luke chapter 7. As we jump in this morning, uh, as uh, Garrett said, there's a lot of ministries taking place here. We want you to go deeper in your faith, all of us in our faith. Brave, CR, celebrate recovery, financial peace, rooted, and everything else. Uh, d- 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 <laughs> dive deep, deep dive. I knew it was one of the two. And so we encourage you to sign up for those. I'm going to read now. Verse 36, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of a woman she is, that she is a sinner. First of all, how many knew Jesus knew? Jesus knew. Let's pray. Father, as you knew her, you know us. Search our hearts today and do exactly what we need. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So uh, this is a, a, a powerful moment. Powerful moment in the life of Jesus. Uh, there's, there's three characters involved. There's this guy we're going to call the Pharisee. His name's Simon. There's Jesus. And then in a few moments, we're going to introduce the, the third, a woman who was caught up in sin. And this passage has a lot to tell us about love. It has a lot to tell us about compassion. It tells us a lot about how to treat one another. It tells us about worship. And, and my prayer for you this week would be, as we get into Luke chapter 7, that between now and next week, you'd kind of drain it of every truth you can find. Not just the ones I may point out, but the truth that the Holy Spirit would lay upon your heart as to what this passage is all about. So let's jump in today with verse 36. Here we go. 
Uh, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Now let's, let's get the setting here. Jesus has been invited to the house of a Pharisee. Uh, this passage in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, this passage about a woman doing something like this is recorded in all four, four Gospels. Matthew and Mark talk about the home beings of Simon the leper. Uh, the book of John has to do with it being uh, in the uh, uh, house of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus down in Bethany. This is a separate incident, incident, incident and you need to get your head around that. This Pharisee's name is Simon. He is what's called a Pharisee. Now, Pharisee, as some of you know, some of you may not know, they're the keepers of the law in Judaism. They were responsible to make sure everyone followed the rituals, that everyone followed the rules, that everyone did what they were supposed to do to keep the nation, if you will, holy and pure. Uh, and, and so they were on the watch to make sure that everything was done, the rituals, the external practices. The Pharisees are responsible for that. They were the religious leadership of Judaism. Uh, those who went to Israel, I had talked about this before, but they got their first taste of, of, of the strictness of some of the rules in Judaism. When we were staying at the uh, different hotels, there would be one, if, if it was the Sabbath, there would be one elevator that would go down automatically because one of the rules is you cannot do any work on the Sabbath, and if you were to push that button, it would be considered work. And so, you know, it's okay if it's a three-story building, but man, we were, we were on, some of us were on the 26th floor. And so you want to be careful not to get in that elevator because it stops at every floor automatically. But this is one of the rules. And some of the other rules, the kosher rules were truly enforced. One of the people who may be in this room this morning, I will not look at her, uh, <laughs> I believe tried to bring coffee up to the dining area and it had creamer in it. Well, in Judaism, you can't, you can't mix meat and dairy. It's just not done. And so there was a guy standing at the top of the stairs saying, you can't do that. And so she had to take it back downstairs. The, the point is, there are rituals and, and things that the, the Pharisees made sure were enacted. I'm sure glad we're not like them because Lord knows we don't have rules and rituals. But, you know, they were an odd bunch. How many know that just like them, weak times have rituals and and things growing up. I've told you my growing up, I had to wear a white shirt and a tie. It was a big deal. I was a youth leader. One time my dad sent me, I'm pretty sure it was my dad. I hope it wasn't me thinking it. Hey, Ray, some of those young men aren't wearing socks to church. You got to go take care of that. Can you imagine me going to a guy and saying, listen, especially today, Pastor Taylor, um, <laughs> can you imagine me going to someone today saying, excuse me, sir, uh, you've got to wear socks. But these are the things that sometimes we, we build on the externals and, and we think they're so important, but when you look back, you realize, who cares? Man, if you're standing in the presence of Jesus and you're wearing tennis shoes, uh, sandals, socks, no socks, as long as you're praising God, how many know that's the issue? Because sometimes I think externals and the rituals and the stuff for the Pharisees and for us, if we're not careful, they overshadow the person we should be worshiping. Sometimes the stuff becomes more important than Jesus. And how many know that's not good? Because at the end of the day, worshiping him in spirit and in truth is really the most important thing you can be about as a human being. Worshiping Jesus and not getting caught up in all the things that, I mean, we all look different. We all wear different clothes. We all do different things differently. But as long as we're here worshiping Jesus, I think we're all going to be okay. 
So these religious leaders were indeed self-righteous. They certainly didn't care for the message of Jesus. Whereas they should have been his biggest fan because they were praying for the Messiah and the Messiah was right in, in Simon's house. Yet they weren't. They, they hated his message. They hated when he talked about grace. They hated when he talked about repentance. They hated it when he talked about the kingdom of God. They hated it when he talked about this thing called forgiveness of sin. Uh, they hated him for hanging out with the wrong kind of people. I mean, if you stop and think, how odd is that? Because that's who Jesus came for. Jesus really didn't come for the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He came for the people who were unworthy. The Bible says he didn't come for those who were healthy. He came for the sick. He came for those who were in desperate need of a savior. And so, to be honest with you, the, the dinner invitation wasn't sincere. You're gonna find that out a little later in the text. It was insincere. They were hoping that they, he would come and he would say something that they could, could use against him. And in point of fact, Jesus doesn't disappoint. He's gonna say something that they will indeed hold against him. Their minds were already made up about Jesus. Can you imagine that? How many of us know someone whose mind is already made up about Jesus because the only Jesus they ever saw was us? That's extra. I, that, I threw that in just for this service, so, you know, don't tell anyone. But sometimes it's not that they're so upset with Jesus as they're upset with us. But we won't cover that today. Jesus is reclining at a table. This is kind of a big deal. You know, back then... <clears throat> Roads were dusty, and if they weren't dusty, they were muddy. Some of us, are, I'm wearing shoes today that I wore in Israel, and they still have dust on them from, from walking around in the dust. Ton of dust in, uh, in, in many places. And uh, so they sat, they reclined, the Bible said in the text, they reclined at a table. They had their feet going backwards. They would sit kind of on their shoulder. They would be eating, conversing with one another. It brought everyone closer together. This wasn't a time when they had social media and everyone was sitting across from each other texting one another. There's one thing that drives me crazy. I can walk into a restaurant, see two young people. They're not talking, they're texting one another. I want to run up and say, that, that couple in Canada, I want to run up and say, she's right there. She's right there. And they're laughing about the same joke. There. Never mind. It's just a personal thing with me. But back then, it was, it, was, it, was a, uh, it was an oral tradition. In other words, you had to talk with one another. If you wanted to know what was going on, if you wanted to know the news and stuff, you had to show up places because there was no social media. There was no media at all. There were, there were very few books. And so what they would do is they would gather around this table with their feet going backwards. They would all be in there together. They would open their doors because this was such a big deal when a rabbi or someone would come into the building, would come in for dinner, that outside people could come in and stand against the walls and just listen because that's where they got their news. That's where they found out stuff. That's where they could see the, the latest trends in philosophy or theology or one of these things. They could hear the rabbis or someone speaking about these issues. And so, verse 37, boy, you leave the door open and just about anyone can get in, and this is what happened. Verse 37, a woman in that town who, had, who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him, catch this, as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. 
Now the third woman, the third person has shown up. You have Simon the Pharisee, you have Jesus, and now the sinful woman, the woman who has lived a life of sin. Most commentaries will tell you, most commentators believe she was indeed a prostitute. So you have the Pharisee, you have the prostitute, you have Jesus. And, and she brings an alabaster jar, a, a, a fine, fine marble, and it's filled with expensive perfume. And she probably meant it to anoint Jesus' head. She stands at the feet of Jesus. And as she's standing there, she begins to weep. She begins to weep. And I, I infer this from the text, and I think you'll agree with me. She was crying so much, she was able to wash his feet with her tears. I mean, this wasn't just the sniffles. She was overwhelmed with, with weeping and crying and tears. Maybe she saw as she was weeping, standing in the back where maybe no one else could really see her at that moment. She looks down and she notices no one's washed the feet of Jesus and she lets her tears begin to flow. Enough so that it can wash his feet, the feet of Jesus. Maybe they're tears of joy. Perhaps they're tears of sorrow. Maybe there are a few tears mixed in of shame because she's known as the sinful woman. Maybe there's a sense of brokenness. Maybe all that stuff that's in there just comes out in this moment because she's in the presence of Jesus. And it all comes pouring out. It's all there, all that stuff from inside. Maybe the stuff she's pushed down and pushed down and pushed down. And maybe in that moment, in the presence of Jesus, it all comes up. If I could take a moment here, uh, we're just like her in many respects. And one of them is this, that sometimes there's stuff in our lives that Maybe it's a relationship issue, maybe it's anger, maybe it's bitterness, resentment, fear, all these different emotions, and we just keep stuffing them in and stuffing them down and stuffing them down. I, let me tell you something, friend. At some point, all that stuff you may be pushing down and stuffing, one day is going to come out. Now, it may come out in a controlled way, maybe with a counselor or, some, or, or someone, or it could be you just throw up on the person next to you. And that metaphor that I just used ain't pretty. It's one thing to do it physically, it's another thing to do it emotionally, which I would say is probably worse. And she stands in the presence of Jesus and she weeps and she weeps and she takes and she lets her tears fall at his feet, on his feet, and she begins to wash them. She begins to wash them and in my opinion, maybe washing away some things within her own life. I don't know why, but there's a lot of crying and as she takes... You know, in Judaism, women wear their hair under scarves or, or up, but she lets her hair down. Another custom breaker, she doesn't care. She takes her hair and she begins to, to dry his feet, to wash them off with her tears. And then she takes her hair and she dries his feet. And then she reaches down. Maybe she gets on her knees and she begins to kiss the feet of Jesus. Then she picks up that alabaster jar of perfume and she anoints his feet with this fine perfume. You know, as I read this for the first time this week, I, I, it just dawned, me, dawned on me. You know what we got going on here? What we got now is a worship service. What's happening now is she doesn't care about the Pharisees. She doesn't care about the people who are looking and saying, what's she doing here? She doesn't care about any of that stuff. What we have is a worship time. Right now, it's just her and Jesus. She doesn't care what people are saying about her anymore. She doesn't even care what she thinks about herself anymore. She's in the presence of Jesus. 
now we got a worship service going on. You know when worship happens, it's when you don't care what's going on around you. You're just in the presence of Jesus and you're just loving on him and he's loving on you. And, and, and the stuff of this earth begins to pass away. And all you feel is the grace and the mercy and the love of a God who gave his son to die on the cross for you. That's a worship service. And that's what's taking place here in the life of this woman. She's worshiping the Lord. She doesn't think about other people or those who have judged her or ritual. The only person in the room is Jesus. He's all that matters. And nothing is as important as Jesus. You know, now I go back to the other guy in the story, and that's Simon the Pharisee. You know what? Honestly, they should have, been, they should have watched this and been moved to tears. I mean, if I'm in the room, I guarantee you I'm crying just as much as she is. I'm just watching this. I mean, I've told you different stories about Easter and other times when God broke through and something out of the ordinary happened, like, like that, that kid who runs up and says, I gotta get to Jesus. And by the time he's, he's run up to the platform, all the disciples on the platform, we were all bawling. But, but Simon's not that guy. Simon is not moved to tears. He should have been. He should have said, hey, you got enough tears there to wash the feet of Jesus? Let me help. Need some more perfume? Hey, I'll go grab some. Need me to hold your hair? He should have been involved. He should have been asking, what can I give at this holy moment? That divine presence, that divine click of a moment where, where God comes down and, and, and something supernatural, powerful is happening. It, right over his head. Man, I'm glad I'm not like that guy. Or at times, am I? Am I? Well, Simon, as we, as we know from the text, is self-righteous and he misses the whole point. Verse 39, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, I mean, he, catch this, he sees that beautiful moment. Here's what he said. He said to himself, he says it to himself, no one else, he said these words, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of a woman she is, that she is a sinner. Boy, it makes me want to slap that guy silly. <laughs> oh, it's my third time preaching this. Cut me some slack. I mean, really, is that it? All he, in that divine presence of a moment, all he can say is, well, you know what? If Jesus was really Jesus, he would know who he, she was, that she's a sinner. Well, just so we're all clear, Jesus did know who she was and the son of God, the Messiah you've been looking for is see, sitting in your house and a prostitute can see what you can't, Mr. Pharisee. Someone who doesn't measure up can see what you cannot see with all your rituals and all your forms and all your religiosity. A, a prostitute can see what you cannot see. And she has not judged him, she has worshiped him. She has offered her all, and you've offered nothing. Jesus is in the house, and you don't think Jesus knows? Man. As angry as I get with Simon, I, I have to be honest enough with you to say this, that there are times in my own life that I miss the boat well, as well. Sometimes... And I think you're probably like me. We get so busy doing our thing that we forget that Jesus is here. Or we forget that Jesus is in the midst of your world and your experience. 
Sometimes we get so busy with the cares of life that we, don't for, that we forget that as much as Jesus wanted to give this woman a moment, he wants to give you a moment. He wants you to experience the fullness and the joy and the presence and the power of getting rid of all that stuff that's inside of you and be filled with his presence and his grace today. Anyway, Jesus responds. He responds to Simon. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said in verse 40. Jesus is at a minimum a prophet, though he is the son of God, because he knows what Simon is thinking, and he knows exactly who this woman is. Now, Simon says, well, tell me, teacher. I mean, again, the insincerity dripping. Tell me, teacher, though he doesn't believe he's really a teacher. So Jesus tells a parable, and here's what he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. He forgave them. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. One owes about a year and a half's wages, 500 denarii. Another person owes 50 denarii. That's about two months' wages. The Bible says, uh, Jesus said, neither can pay their debt. So the money lender says to them, those that who owed 500 and the one who owed 50, and he says, listen, your debt's been paid, your debt's canceled, go now, go in peace because you don't have to pay it. You know, as I read this, who's the hero of this story? It's the money lender. Because to be honest with you, that money's gotta still come from somewhere. The debt still has to be paid. Who's gonna pay it? The money lender is paying it himself. He's taking that debt upon him. He's saying, listen, you guys can't afford this on your best day. You're not gonna earn enough money, so I'm paying it for you. If that's not a picture of Jesus, then tell me what is. That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is giving a picture. This one couldn't do it. That one couldn't do it. Simon couldn't do it. The prostitute couldn't do it. This woman, I'll pay the debt. And he wants to say to you and I today, and I've been a little excited all day about this. Jesus wants to say the same thing to us. You can't pay your debt, but I can. The issue isn't that he can or can't. The Bible says he can, he did. He died, he rose again, he ascended. One day he's coming back. That's not an issue today. You know what the issue is? Are you ready? Will you let him? Will you let him? Because to be honest with you, the best of us in here, the the nicest, gracious, most nicest people in this room still need a savior and his name is Jesus. That no matter how good you do and what you do to, to help the poor and sing in the choir and show up on weekends and all those different things, None of that provides what Jesus can. Jesus is the only one, and I know you know this, but I feel like I should tell you, is the only one that can say debt canceled. The only one who can pay the debt. There's that old song, he paid a debt he did not owe, I owed a debt I could not pay. That's Jesus. And Jesus is telling him, the response, the problem, you know, the problem isn't the debt. They all, we both... 550, it was still a debt. They couldn't pay it. The issue is, was the response. Simon, he's paying your debt. What are you gonna do? And because Simon didn't love much, it was no big deal that Jesus paid the debt. But this woman over here is weeping and crying and sobbing because she recognizes the depth of how much she needed the forgiveness of God. And so she loves him with a a love that is encompassing and big and huge. What's the point of this text? Point is this, in my opinion, it's this. When Jesus forgives, we need to love him back. Love him back. 
Don't shrug it off as if it's not a big deal. Easter's coming. Palm Sunday's coming. Good Friday's coming. The most important time in our year where we celebrate the goodness of God in giving Jesus to die on the cross. The issue isn't the size of the debt. The issue is the size of the love. Verse 44. And now he gets right in Simon's face. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her sins have been forgiven as great as her great love has shown. See, it's always a love issue. As her great love is shown, but whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Look at that. I'm still working through that last sentence. You know why they've been forgiven little? It's not because the forgiver is holding back forgiveness. It's because they don't think they need it. Right? They've been forgiven little because they don't think they need it. And if you don't think we need the forgiveness of God, then right on the, the next layer of that is this, then how can we love him for the forgiveness that we're not letting, allowing him to do in us? Does that make sense? I'll get it by next service. So Jesus makes this contrast between, between Simon and this woman. He said, Simon, you didn't offer me the most basic of customs. You didn't shake my hand when I walked in. You didn't embrace me. You didn't give me a holy kiss. You didn't offer to, someone for to, wa to wash the dust off my feet. You didn't anoint my head with oil. You didn't do any of these things. And yet, Simon, she's washed my feet with her tears. She's dried my feet with her hair. She's kissed my feet. She's poured, anointed my feet with oil. She's done all of these things. Simon, she's done all these things. Why? Because the Bible just tells us because of her great love for Jesus. See, that's when we do the stuff we do. It's not because we have to, because it's ritual or, or, or rules or this or that. We do and we are who we are, not because of what we have to do, but because of what we get to do. That woman didn't have to do a thing. But she was so moved by Jesus, she wanted to do these things. Simon, this, the issue isn't your sin, it's your lack of love. It's the same issue for me and for you. Jesus has paid a debt. Are we willing to love him back today? On the way to church yesterday, as I was thinking about this message, it dawned on me that there was a, uh, uh, we were down for Christmas with my folks. We had an early Christmas with Mary's family. We were all gathered over at someone's house and as is usually the case, there's usually one person who's on the outs with the family. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Well, this really happened and I was there and there was one, one of the brothers had messed up. There's no denying it. He'd made a mistake and he'd blown it. But he walks in with his girlfriend and man, it's, it's as cold as that foyer in the house I mean it was it was frosty and you just knew no one wanted him there no one wanted him there and 
by the time we, we sat down for about where we were about to sit down, he got the message. He wasn't wanted. And so very quietly, he and his girlfriend just started backing toward the door and they walked out and just shut the door very quietly without saying anything to anyone. Now, friends, to be honest with you, I've been a Simon more than I've been that woman. But in that moment, I realized that I need to go out and say something to him. And I walked out. He was pulling away in the, in the car. And I said, hey, I just want you to know, you, know this. You have value and God loves you. Doesn't matter what's going on in there. You have value to God. The girlfriend called Mary later and said, he just pulled over and wept for, I don't know, they didn't know how long. The hero of that story isn't me. The hero of that story is a God who loves people like that. Who people who are filled with shame and sorrow and brokenness and all those things that we talk about but we just keep shoving down because we don't realize that we can really find healing from those things. Oh, we think other people can find healing, but not us. And so we just keep, as I said earlier, shoving it down, thinking that this one who died can't, can't bring healing and wholeness to me. Friends, if you get nothing else from this story, if, God, if Jesus did it for her, he can do it for you. If she matters to Jesus that much, you matter to Jesus that much. That no matter who you are today, you know, there are times in my life when tears flow and I stand in his presence and I just weep and cry and have the moments. But sometimes, to be honest with you, other times it doesn't affect me at all because the cares of this life get so big and scary that I can't focus on Jesus. How about you? There are times that I want to give my best, just like this woman. I want to give my best, but sometimes I choose to give him the extras. How about you? He deserves our best. He deserves all of me, but sometimes I hold back those parts of me. How about you? There are times that I, 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 I revel in the forgiveness of God and I, I, I just stand blessed. Uh, that song, that second, one of those songs uh, talking about how he's always been faithful. Sometimes I can hear that song and I just, I weep with the knowledge that I am so forgiven and I don't deserve it, but yet he forgave me anyway. Then other times I take it for granted. How about you? I think there are times in our lives, you know, Mary and I went with some friends before Israel. We went to uh, Istanbul. And uh, the guide took us in this big underground cistern. It's where they kept water for the city. It was really beautiful. It turned it, what, what's new? They turned it into a tourist site. But it, it, it's normally filled with, with water. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. I mean, the water was crystal clear. It was pretty. It was beautiful. It was gorgeous in there. But as I thought about this just last service, to be honest with you, just last service, the big cisterns of my heart, how many times, and some of you know what I'm talking about today, how many times do we allow our brokenness to fill that cistern up rather than the living water of a love of Jesus? 
How many times do we allow our shame, that stuff we think no one else knows about, and it fills the cisterns of our hearts and lives, and we choose instead of to drain it by the power of the Holy Spirit, we choose to keep living in that cistern of brokenness. How about those emotions that you pretend you don't have? Fear, anxiety, anger, resentment, bitterness. And we, the cistern is so full of that, that poison inside of us that we think that's the way it's just gonna be. That that's where you have to live. How many know that at some point Jesus wants to say, I have come as the spring of living water and I wanna wash that crap away. Some of you are gonna think, the only thing you remember is that I said crap. <laughs> but how many know he wants to wash that stuff away? You don't have to live there. I'm not saying we won't have problems, but whom he has set free is what? Free indeed. It's that same stinking liar, the father of lies, who keeps feeding your cistern into brokenness and lies and deceit and saying, you're always gonna be that way, your sins are too big, you don't matter, blah, 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 blah. In the name of Jesus, call him what he is, he's a liar. You are who not, as I've said a thousand times, you're not who the enemy of your soul says that you are. You are who he says you are. And he says you're worthy because he died on the cross for you. It's time to clean some cisterns out and let the water, let the presence of God fill your life. That's my hope for me. See, every so often, I've told you, I've been honest with you, that, that stinking liar starts playing that reel in my head. In the name of Jesus, I want to take some scissors, just cut it all up. Amen? Well, I'm done talking. Stand with me. Let's worship the Lord together. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to partner with us in sharing Jesus and helping people experience life change, you can support our mission by clicking the link in the description. If this message has impacted you, please subscribe and share. To learn more, visit wearecalvary.com. We'll see you back next week.